0: See, this is my life. It always will be. There's nothing else. Just us. And the cameras. And those wonderful people out there in the dark. Alright, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Ready for Close-Up my name is andy and i'm here once again with my fellow movie nerd sam hi sam how are you hi andy and uh, before we kick off our movie discussion today i just wanted to announce that we now have a dedicated instagram
1: page
0: yay so yay please follow ready for close-up to get all the updates snippets and insights on our podcasts and episodes and everything movie. And uh, yeah, let us know what you think of the topics discussed. And now to our newest episode, where we take a plunge into the deep waters of one of Agatha Christie's most beloved works of fiction and its movie adaptations, Death on the Nile.
1: Ladies and gentlemen,
0: please welcome the newlyweds, Mr. and Mrs. Simon Doyle. You must meet Hercule Poirot.
1: My congratulations, madame.
0: Merci. He's only the greatest detective alive. I suspect you invited me for reasons other than the fun. You had something to hide.
1: We have the Karnak all to ourselves. A chef and enough champagne to fill the Nile when you have money no one is ever really your friend
0: Kenneth Branagh has directed and starred in the newest star-studded adaptation of this novel which is out in cinemas now and we will discuss this newest iteration in depth a little later on but we also want to have a look at the John Glermann version from 1978 starring Sir Peter Ustinov as Hercule Poirot and see how the new version holds up to the beloved classic and also how it fits into the wider Agatha Christie movie adaptations, history timeline, so to speak. Belgian sleuth Hercule Poirot's vacation aboard a glamorous river steamer turns into a search for a murderer when a picture-perfect couple's idyllic honeymoon is tragically cut short. Set against the sweeping Egyptian desert vistas and majestic temples and pyramids, this tale of unbridled passion and jealousy features a cosmopolitan group of travelers who are all suspects to murder. As the clues come together and more dead bodies show up, Poirot's little grey cells will be needed to solve this murder case. Sam, I know we really love the 78 version, Death on the Nile. Tell us why.
1: Mm, So much. I mean, the two of us have been speaking and referencing it so often, so there has to be something to it. I think to me, when I was thinking about it, I think it's the extension of the ensemble movies from the 70s that I like. So I was a big fan of disaster movies from the 70s. And in a way, John Willerman also being the director of Towering Inferno, This was kind of an extension of that disaster movie with a star ensemble. And I really enjoyed, from the beginning, these movies that had every possible Hollywood star packed together in one movie, also in a small space where they would be facing a tragedy or a disaster, natural or man-made. And in a way, Death on the Nile for me is, is that too. It's an Agatha Christie crime story. But I do think they were so successful because in the 70s, they started to latch on to the success of these star ensemble movies, starting with Murder on the Orient Express in 1974 and then doing it with Death on an Nile again in 1978. So that was, I think, my draw to it when I was a teenager.
0: I guess that was similar to you? Absolutely. I mean, I think... It's a movie that has been with me since I can think of, basically. Um I, I guess as a young kid I also loved Agatha Christie novels in general and the movies came also a little later on. Um they were a lot on TV and I remember bits and pieces of the movie and then I watched it in on a whole. I think you mentioned The Murder on the Orient Express from '74 by Sidney Lumet, which really started this successful uh, stream of movies that came later on. And I think Death on the Nile, particularly for me, hits this soft spot of nostalgia, it has this star-studded cast, it has beautiful shots of Egypt, um, this retro feeling, and then also a good story, I think, which is based on it's based on the Agatha Christie novel. So I think I mean the movie's from seventy eight, but you still think already then I guess it was a bit old fashioned and a bit polished in a way. The dynamics are a bit more lively than in Murder on the Rand Express. They are a great supporting characters in it. Uh, I think also Sir Peter Ustinov as Poirot is also a great choice. I think he brings a bit more warmth to the character, a bit more humor, more so than maybe Albert Finney in the Orient Express version. So I think, yeah, it's... it's And then the beautiful music by Nino Rota, I think. It's, it's really all coming <laughs> together very nicely, and it's a movie I love to <laughs> watch and re-watch.
1: Murder? Now, join the most brilliant detective of all time, Hercule Poirot, on a mysterious journey down the Nile to the great wonders of the world, where the biggest wonder of them all is, who done it?
0: I feel the presence of evil all about me.
1: Agatha Christie's Death on the Nile, starring Peter Ustinov. With me, it's the exercise of the little gray cells and nine star suspects. To me, it's the most shining example of those, of the Ustinov uh, parophiles, films, but also of these 70s, 80s Agatha Christie adaptations. I mean, just the locations are fantastic. Um, the location shoots are so spectacular. Um, the cast, I think, is the most stunning one that they piece together with the, the biggest stars. Maybe let's just mention a few. There's classic stars like betty davis and and david niven they also have more contemporary stars at the time like jane birkin or mia farrow they have a few has-beens that were hot at the time like lois giles later on the bond girl of moonraker and simon McCorkindale, who pretty much started that one and Charles 3d (laughs) and then there's of course also maggie smith who wasn't such a big star as she is today, but of course she had already won her Oscar for the Prime of Miss Jean Brody, And there's John Finch, Olivia Hussey. They were all well known at the time. So that certainly is a a stunning mix. And then put those stars into those surroundings, show the river, the boat, the locations, the little excursions they make. I think, yeah, it's just a, a shining, precious stone of a movie. And you mentioned Nina Rota. It was uh, one of his last assignments, if not his last. And that, that pounding music of, that he created just perfectly mimics the, the turning of the, the steamboat wheel. And I always thought that was such a beautiful way of propelling the movie forward, even in, in its slower parts. And, of course, I must not forget the most important star of the movie that I haven't mentioned yet, Angela Lansbury, <laughs> as constantly drunk Salome Otterborn, which was always one of my favorite figures in any movie at the time. She was so ditzy and so fun. So it, it, it's great. And I was super skeptical, of course, to find out that Kenneth Branagh was going to make a new version of that and I went into the new version very skeptically. I don't know how you felt about it.
0: Very similar. I mean, Death on the Nile, the old movie is really close to my heart. It's one of my guilty pleasures, favorites of all time and with all the reasons you just mentioned. So already when they announced they would make a newer version. And having seen the Brana version of Murder on the End Express, I was a bit apprehensive towards it. I think I was excited that they were doing it, but I also was a bit fearful of how they would adapt it. Could it live up to the the magic, I would say, of the original? So yeah, I mean, the the new version, it it had a bit of a troubled production history as well. I mean, it was delayed a couple of times due to the COVID pandemic. Then they also had some scandals surrounding the cast. So there was the Army Hammer accusations where they postponed the movie again. Then there was also negative press around Letitia Wright uh, in relation to COVID and vaccines, and maybe a a little softer bummer, but also Gal Gadot's uh, Imagine video that was going viral and being mocked. What was that all about? That was like in the beginning of the pandemic, she would say like, oh, if we all... She sang the Beatles song Imagine and had her a lot of stars lined up who would sing with her from their homes. And it was perceived as very cynical and a bit uh, condescending towards people who are actually suffering from the pandemic and cannot be uh-huh. in their Hampton house. But I think. Uh, <laughs> I the, missed that. <laughs> yeah, this already blew a bit over. I think the, the big one was really the, the Army Hammer sexual abuse accusations, which were difficult, I think, also for the marketing team to promote it because Army Hammer mm-hmm. play, basically placed them a male lead next to kind of Brana. So in the newer trailers, they cut him out quite, quite well, I would say. <laughs> but I think, so yeah, the, the, the movie had a few hiccups uh, along the way. It finally made its way to the cinemas. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm positively surprised in a way in relation to Murder on the End Express that Brana did a few years back, also starring a star cast with Johnny Depp, Michelle Pfeiffer, Penelope Cruz, Judy Dench. I think this movie has probably a little bit... Less of a star cast appeal, I would say. I mean, there's still a lot of famous faces in, in the cast, but they're not, probably as widely known. I would say. However, I feel the movie has a bit more drive. It's a it's a bit better paced. I think, or maybe that's also a bit due to the location. I think the boat, this luxurious steamer, is a bit more lends itself to a bit more of a dynamic. Than probably the the train frozen as uh, snowed in, somewhere in the mountains, so I thought in terms of of the story, of the locale, of the location, even though a lot of it was CGI, which I found was a bit pity. The movie has has a very glamorous feel to it. It has a good pace. Somehow, I think the beginning is a little bit long uh, until the first murder, first victim shows up. I think it's halfway in. I think there that the exhibition is quite extensive. I think also maybe to give Gal Gadot a lot of screen time. But I think Overall, I was surprised also how well Brana adapts the original and makes a few changes to it, makes a few twists for people who know the story already, which I think are a lot. So overall, I think he he can add new nuances to the well-known story. And I think I appreciated that quite a bit. What were your
1: thoughts? The same. I was positively surprised, I must say. I was... From the beginning kind of intrigued by the way he entered the story because the movie starts in world war one kind of with a very archetypical trench scene and then only after a while you realize that this is a, a flashback to poirot's youth when he was a soldier and i kind of liked the setup that he made with that it it it, it came down to where he his mustache is from but also Along a lost love, that somehow then also influenced the emotional arc that he went through within the movie. I did enjoy the changes they made, strangely enough, because I was afraid that it would be either a rehash of the old one and I would already know everything, which would have been fine if it was interestingly done. But then I felt they had made a few interesting. Changes. I think most noticeably with the character of Salami Ultraborn, who turned out to be a jazz singer, African-American jazz singer, much in the vein of a Billy Holiday or an Ella Fitzgerald. And she was kind of an interesting figure that they put in the movie and onto the boat. And I thought her, the connection to her character and her stories was interesting. The arrangement of figures was interesting. Characters that are the same, but they're not... I was a big fan, of course, in the old version of the dynamic between Maggie Smith and uh, Betty Davis. Mm-hmm. And here they made also an interesting change between those two characters. basically a rich old lady in the original who has a, a servant. and it turns out that the servant didn't used to be a servant, but she was kind of she got out of her money uh, by circumstances connected to the main female character. And so they made an interesting twist there that, of course, is very contemporary mm-hmm. for today. What I did not really like was some of the casting, especially for that couple. They, they chose Don French and Jennifer Saunders, a well-known comedy couple for those roles. But then they had a very dreary part. And I thought, why do you cast two comedians for a part that is then mostly dull or tragic? And I thought they were, they were miscast. I enjoyed seeing them, but I didn't enjoy the role they were given considering their their image. So some of the casting choices were a bit questionable, but generally I thought also that it was a good ensemble, especially from the point of view of the younger, more hot actors of the time. Emma Mackey was very good in the Mia Farrow role, I thought. Gal Gadot was pitch perfect in the Lois Childs role, I thought. She's pretty much the same. I thought, you know, Lois Childs Gal Gadot they have a similar impression that they give you, even though (laughs) Godot is a slightly better actress than Lois Childs. So I I thought some of the roles were a good imitation of the old version, and some of them were a good extension of the old version or a change maybe closer to contemporary fields or topics, or maybe closer to the novel, which I haven't read in a while, so I I cannot say.
0: I, I agree on the French and Saunders casting bit, uh, which I also thought it's curious that they have these two comedians and they play these very dreary or very serious Skyler and Bowers iterations, whereas um, Betty Davis and Maggie Smith, they had this bantering, this bitching with each other which was more fun. I agree there. Same could be said about Russell Brand being cast as this very somber Lord Doctor. True. Um, Windlesham, who's Yeah, I I think it's interesting to cast Brand in this because he's also more this kooky, crazy persona usually. So I think it was good for him, but he's very toned down. And I think this probably goes for all the cast. I think the, the 70s version had a bit more the extravagant, flamboyant characters. I mean, yeah from Skyler Bowers' companionship. I think also Salome Otterborn, played by Angela Lansbury, mm-hmm. is much more flamboyant, much more fun. Also her interactions with David Niven. So I think in the newer version, these kooky these side characters are really nurtured. However, Poirot comes on top a more humorous. And I thought I, this is something I quite liked, that Branna allows you mentioned the emotional arc but also the yeah he, he allows to poirot to be more emotional but also more humorous a little bit more funny as opposed to the murder on the end express so i appreciated this as well emma mackie i think makes a good bit on becoming uh, a breakout star so i think she's mostly known for se- her work in sex education and i think he or she really carries the big part of the story quite well gal gadot on the other hand <laughs> i would say she's i felt she was a bit miscast i understand that she has a big star appeal and it was she fitted the role but i think apart from being pretty i don't really think she managed to for me she didn't really manage to convey that she can also be bitchy. Because I think Lois Childs in the other version, you you really realize that she's bitchier or more decisive or yeah, um, less sympathetic towards her the people around her, which then in turn also gives the other characters more reason to hate her, which then again makes the other ones more suspect. And I think in the newer version, you don't really get why they would want to kill her. Yes, she's rich. Yes, she's... Beautiful, yes, she made there a few hints on, on backstories and broken hearts, but you don't really feel or realize the animosity of the surrounding passengers towards her as a character. For me, this was a bit of a miscast. I've, I, and, I, and then I thought some scenes she had to handle were really hammy, so she didn't act really convincing there for me. And also <laughs> her chemistry with Army Hammer, I found, was, was off.
1: I didn't remind her so much. I thought what she brought across well was kind of her fear of everybody on the boat. I thought that that bit was well done. And I, I thought the dynamic worked quite well between both Army Hammer and Emma Mackey and also between her. But I guess that's just personal mm. taste. Maybe I expected less. But you, you're definitely right with the, the fun dynamic of the first version. It's, it's a fun romp and they still convey some, some crimes, some mystery, some intrigue. But I think the tone is so different. Here, what they tried to do, including Poirot's story, but of course also the, the Richway main female character and her, the threat towards her, the darker tone of the jazz singer and her daughter who wanted to get married to one character and then his mother got in the way, the two characters that we mentioned before, Played by French and Saunders, which had a or who had a kind of dramatic backstory. I think there was just supposed to be more drama. The tone was darker, and it it came out especially strongly at the end. I remember. The ending, when they all get off the boat in the 1978 version, is just like, you know, bright and sunny and colorful, and everyone cracks a joke, and then they leave, and then the theme comes up again. Mm -hmm. And of course, the same scene here is somber. There's possibilities. There's kind of a dramatic look between characters. Mm -hmm. The, The mood is darker. The music is more sombre and, and oppressive. So I, I was sitting there at the end and I thought, no, this is not what it's supposed to be. This is kinda of like relieving the audience to leave the cinema. Case solved. There are a couple of people dead. Well actually they were piling up <laughs> in the kitchen. Which was one of the very funny sarcastic scenes, I thought, with all the the bodies lying beside each other beside the kitchen. I thought there was some dark humor to that. But in a way they didn't follow up on that dark humor side that had a bit off and there were some scenes that went in that direction. It would have been a much better movie if they had just had more fun with it. The other issue I had, I want to ask you about that because I haven't seen the new version of Murder on the Orient Express yet, but I I heard from what I saw is the, the CGI is really bothersome, at least from the bits and pieces I saw. Here I thought some of it was really awkward looking, especially when they went to the temple of Abu Zimbal, Mm -hmm. if I say it correctly. And then partly the boat on the river. I do understand that it probably didn't shoot the boat mostly on location, and that was done CGI. Some of the landscapes were really pretty. Some of the impressions of the the life on the river I thought were really nice. But why, why create such an artificial surrounding? I mean, the old version lived from the fact that they all traveled down to Egypt and they were all on the boat, partly in studios, but that was well-handled, I thought, and you really feel that they're on the boat. Here, they almost want you to not believe that they're on the boat because there's these drone shots and crane shots and, and everything looks kind of off. What do you think of that? Did, did that work for you?
0: I had to get used to it, let's put it that way. I think I was initially I was a bit taken aback because it's clearly cgi i mean the hotel there in the beginning the cataract hotel and then also along the river nile and and, and yeah you mentioned the abu symbol temple scene i think in the old version you really of course they are there in this temple uh the people are walking around real stones are falling down and here everything is cgi it, it threw me off a Feet, but not as much as I expected it would because mm-hmm. I think he still manages to especially around the boat and, and camera angles within the boat like, like following characters walking along the boat and I think there are some really nice images in there as well I got a bit used to it I think probably the movie would have been That much stronger if it were shot on location or at least somewhere real (laughs) let's put it that way Um, because sometimes you really feel the green screen behind the actors a bit too much Mm -hmm. and i thought that was was a bit of shame because it could have been an additional value and as you say in the in the 70s version it's really adding so much to the atmosphere and and the and the Mm -hmm. vibe and the glamour of it all and here, mm-hmm. sometimes it takes you out a bit.
1: That's true. It's it's glorious in the original. My, one of my favorite scenes is actually before they get on the boat, which is with Simon and Lynette riding on horses. On horses yes. On on the sand, and they come across this the, the vista of the the pyramids, and they're in love, and everything seems fantastic, and the music, of course, plays. But you know, in that in that moment, that it's at its highest point. So. You know, you can't, you can't replace that, even though CTI, of course, gives you the option of recreating the hotel and the Nile, the way it looked in the 1930s when the story is set, which they kind of had to hedge around in the 1970s. So I think there's more possibilities, but it's strange. It doesn't put me in the story. It always takes me out mm-hmm. and think, oh, that's a nice computer image. Now well, that's certainly done with a lot of attention to detail, but I never truly believe that I'm there. I mean, interestingly enough, they were shooting several films on location at the time. And maybe just one interesting anecdote is the fact that Lois Giles was on the plane to go to film Death on the Nile. And on the plane, she was sitting beside a director called Louis Gilbert who was traveling to Egypt to film the new Bond film Spy Who Loved Me. And so they chatted, and apparently he was so taken by her that he then cast her for the next movie, Moonraker. So pretty much the Bond movie and Death on Nile were filming at the same time. They were even using the same temple with the stone falling down. So they must have pretty much, you know, ridden on the same camels and location scouts and so on (laughs) to film those two movies so there was something there's something adventurous to those movies from that era because they couldn't do much in the vein of computer animation not so much blue screen green screen at the time so there was more stuff done for real and especially in the 70s there were a lot of adventure movies crime thrillers where going to the place the exotic location was kind of the point of the movie and people would go and see it because they knew it had been filmed on location. And I feel today we have so many possibilities and they don't bother as much to go to actual locations, but rather recreated by 10,000 of people sitting behind a computer. Mm -hmm. And I saw the credits roll and I thought, wow, so many people in Asia were behind these screens, producing these images. And yeah, it's, it's fascinating. It's it's great to see those possibilities. It just doesn't put me in the story, as I said.
0: Yeah, I, I think it, it didn't bother me that much in the end. I think I was, as you say, you're not really pulled in. You're not really in awe anymore. But I think that's also somehow the times we're living in where, you, where movies like this, yeah, they work a lot with CGI. And I think this was somehow also while watching it, this interesting two ways, like it, it, it's a very old fashioned movie. I mean, the way it's told, the way the characters are. Uh, I mean, of course, this is also a bit based on, on the source material, but at the same time, it's then links to these modern viewing habits, these modern ways of filming, also the, the, the themes. So the cast is diverse more diverse, um, there is, yeah, updates to our modern viewing habits. And at the core, it's still this very old fashioned tea time cinema, <laughs> which I think is very, very nice because you don't have many of those anymore, I think. So it is mm-hmm. somehow it's like an like an old old soul in a newer body. Um, mm-hmm. And I think this is also why I was positively surprised by
1: by the newer version mm-hmm. that's a good point i i felt very comfortable i felt very at ease in the movie entertained i would have enjoyed a bit more fun as i said before and a bit more lightheartedness but but you're right it's a, a kind of an old style filmmaking and the 70s version was that even more so because it didn't feel a lot like 70s cinema no it could have been made 10 20 years earlier Whereas this one, as you said, has some references to the present day. And I was wondering about those. How did you feel those were incorporated? We already mentioned the fact that one character was an African-American jazz singer with her daughter. There were these conflicts around whether she was the daughter was good enough for marriage, for uh, the mother of, of her lover. And then, of course, there was the... A homosexual couple, French and Saunders, where it turns out that they're actually not servant and rich lady, but they actually have been a couple for quite a while, and it's always, of course, questionable how these modern touches work in a nineteen thirty setting. How how did you feel about those? Did those click for you? Did those work for you?
0: I mean, the update on the Salome Otterbourne character from being this drunk, crazy novelist, <laughs> as played by Angela Lansbury, into this. Smoky, sultry, blues singer, um, jazz singer, uh, as played by Sofia Conido. I liked that. I think it worked for me. I think it it gave him a newer twist somehow. I thought they could have they could have done more with that character. Also, her her flirtings with Poirot. I think there's a lot of it there, or, or they're touching on it very shyly, and I think they could have developed also her character a bit more into something more interesting or more memorable as as the Lansbury character is in the old movie. I I also liked that the, the lawyer is, is played by, by an Indian. I think this is also an updated work somehow to make him add there a new component there, uh, which I think doesn't really change how the character works, so that's why I think that you can also do that. On the Van Schuyler-Bower's lesbian relationship, I think I wasn't convinced it added that much to the story because I think on this particular pair they're so iconic in the in the older version and they add so much Pizzazz also and and pitchiness to the older version and here they're so toned down that i was more annoyed about this and when then in the end they reveal like oh no basically poirot can detect that the bed linen wasn't was folded as in the first day and that's why he detected that the other one was must, must have been in bed with the other one and ergo they're a couple i didn't think it added that much to the story or to the mystery or to the thrill i think
1: it's a little bit uh a woke flourish. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was a good thing not to try to recreate that dynamic that uh, Betty Davis and Maggie Smith had, because that was one of the the best dynamics of such an odd couple in any such movie. They did something new. They tried it, but by doing that, by doing something so serious, kind of they take they took out the fun that french and saunders could have been i was constantly waiting for them to have a funny absurd banter or exchange and they just didn't Mm -hmm. so i don't know maybe they had a a different idea when they started the movie what i also thought was that now that you mentioned the thing about the bad linen there wasn't so much cluing that poirot did in that movie or was it did i just miss it i felt he wasn't actually doing a lot of detective work and and very often he would also do detective work with someone else he had kind of like assistants that would give him clues so thinking of that sherlock holmes moment with the bed linen there wasn't much of that in it or or did i just miss out on it focusing on other things
0: no i think you're right and i think this is also the impression that i had when watching the brana version of murder on the orient express that you have like one and a half hours of exposition and crime solving. And in the end, he just presents the solution. And I think the older, the 70s version of Death on the Nile does that much better, reiterating the clues like, okay, why did so this person said these two times and this led him to, th- to combine mm-hmm. the situation in a certain way in the brana version it's i don't know if, if <laughs> he thinks everyone has seen the movie or read the book and knows the story, so <laughs> he doesn't really need to present it, but whilst he's presenting the final solution of the crime case, I was just thinking like yes, that's exactly how it went, but there are a few clues missing in explaining how that how that mm-hmm. unfolded, so I was just wondering the details are somehow there, but they're not really explained, and the 70s version does that in a much greater detail and much more compelling,
1: I thought. Mm-hmm. It's about the, the puzzle pieces. What the 70s version does extensively and meticulously is using flashbacks. Yeah, You always see a few seconds of the same scene played over and over and from different perspectives in different moments with different witnesses talking about it. And I think at the end you have to clues together, but you still don't know what the version is. So I think it's it's particularly visual in in that version. And here I felt it was talked about and hinted at, but you didn't actually see it. And I think that that made a big difference that at the end you didn't feel aha uh-huh, that long monologue that Ustinov has taking his time to pick about apart everyone was really condensed in this version and i felt didn't have the the impact also in the end when then mackie and and uh, army hammer uh, die which is i thought rather more shocking in the 1978 version mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because of of the build-up i think because of the build-up of tension and then if you are ah, he's caught them and then they escape by dying and i thought even though that's dramatic also in the new version that worked really much better as a culmination of events in the old version
0: absolutely absolutely and also the i think the unfolding of the crime itself also the setup and then also repeat going back to what happened that evening Exactly. And what has each passenger say about this? And what could have been the options? I think in the 70s version is much more elaborate, maybe potentially a bit to a repetitive effect. And here it's a little bit more like let's uh, just the example with Don French, where it's just like, okay, you basically Gal Gadot's character made you poor. That's why you hate her. You could have killed her, ah, but actually you didn't do it. Okay, fine. Next, Mm -hmm. next. So it's Mm -hmm. it's a bit mm, rushed. So I think the the, the 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 sleuthing, the puzzling and also the dynamic between Poirot and Book, so his his young friend he already has in Murder on the Orient Express version. He basically stands in for the David Niven character. This is actually interesting and I think they could also have elaborated a bit more on how Poirot passes his thoughts off of Book to just to understand how things went. And yeah, I think it's 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 still interesting and, and well done but you're right. I think the sleuthing, the, the puzzling together of the piece is a bit rough is a bit superficially
1: mm-hmm. done. I have an idea why that is because it's interesting that a, um, a detective movie is not made like a detective movie in the new version, it seems. The, I think the interest is in a different place and I think this goes, of course, to who, who made the film, whereas John Willerman presents this very detailed case study and goes into these flashbacks and really does these puzzle pieces with uh, Ustinov, I think, playing Pavel for the very first time. Here we have Brana, who seems to be much more interested in the character of Poirot and his emotional backstory where he comes from emotionally. It seems to be much more an actor's perspective and maybe someone who is not only director, but also impersonates and also incorporates that character and these functions within a movie. So the focus is much more on him as a person and how he feels. And how he feels towards the other characters and not so much just sleuthing and the piecing together mm. the the puzzle. And maybe that's why he's creating this as the more dramatic experience of Poirot on the Nile, whereas with Ustinov it feels like just a fun romp adventure. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know which one I prefer, but it, it fits with Brana and his idea, I guess, of being director and main actor and kind of putting Himself very much at the center whereas i felt ustinov well he's the he's the detective but he's not necessarily at the very center of the movie it's more balanced
0: That's very true this observation and i would add to that that it's very interesting that brana is basically an actor i was surprised how little he gives the others to shine and i think you're <laughs> very right on the fact that poirot is working and that's also what I said initially. That I think his arc is interesting. He gets more emotional. He gets more funny. He gets more fleshed out as a character, which I really appreciated. But as an actor, he doesn't really bring the others to shine as well. I mean, I think <laughs> Sofia Conedo as Salome Atterborn really has potential, but she doesn't really have scenes to to bloom into something. And the others, as we said now time and time again, they are really trap. And 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 some and especially Gal Gadot, I think, would have needed more. More directing and also Annette Banning. Sorry to say, but sometimes her acting is so hammy and so bad. Mm -hmm. And I think also Army Hammer is somehow not always comfortable in his own skin. So I think the 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 acting is sometimes very uneven for for such a character driven project, such a, a story that lives off of the characters. And it's interesting what you just said that really basically Poirot is the one who shines, and this is. Coincidentally or not, the director.
1: <laughs> so. Well, and you know, if you compare the cast even to Murder on the Orient Express, in this one, there are fewer big stars. He, he, interestingly enough, put a number of new stars in there. Emma Mackey and... Letitia Wright. Rose Leslie. But the, he, she plays the Jane Birkin character, but is also very absent from the film. And a, apart from Annette Benning, maybe there's not really, like, a big star in there. They're all quite well-known for, like, TV shows, their comedy background, maybe their larger-than-life stories outside of movie-making. Gal Gadot, I guess, is hot at the moment for her Wonder Woman. But to be perfectly honest, it seems almost like Kenneth Branagh is making sure that there's not too much competition around him, except for young and upcoming ones. But maybe that's just a a suspicion but if you compare it to Judy Dench Johnny Depp Michelle Pfeiffer they are much bigger stars right maybe he was just surrounding himself with a different type of cast to make sure that Poirot remained the uh, Front and center. Maybe. But moving
0: on, or maybe thinking, hoping that this Death on the Nile will be a success and also warrant a successor or a next movie. Do you think they will kind of, Brana will take on uh, uh, Evil Under the Sun, for example, which was
1: then the follow up to Death on the Nile in the used you know, series. Doesn't he dare? <laughs> <laughs> because that will be a much harder one to follow up on. But of course, I would be interested to see more of, of him as Poirot and more of these remakes just for us to take them apart. Uh, with this one, I was positively surprised. I'll have to go back into Murder on the Orient Express. And yeah, I could see myself going to see more of these movies just for what we said before. It's a cozy, old-fashioned movie experience that we haven't had in a while. Mm-hmm. And why not have these who done it? But then please make them a who done it, and not just the story about the detective, yeah. uh, which is I guess a sign of the time. Just like with Bond, they tried to make these much more human beings fleshed out in all the details. But sometimes you could just have like a a casual who done it and nothing else. A hoot with a who done it, right? right.
0: Exactly. So, yes, I think that was fun. Yes, indeed. Thank you very much, Sam. And dear listeners, let us know what you thought of the new Death on the Nile version. If you liked it or if you haven't seen it yet, it's still out in the movies. And see you next time when we are again ready for close-up.